0: Good morning. morning. I don't know how many of you are like me, but uh, usually in the morning, one of the first things I do after I get up is a lot of times I check the news. I'm, I'm kind of obsessive about checking my email and I'll check my email and it's got all the, the news headlines there with it. And I end up reading the news headlines a lot of times in the morning. And I did that this morning and I was looking in the top stories where the first one I saw was about Joe Paterno, gave his first interview. If you know who Joe Paterno is, the coach at Penn State or he was who was recently fired because of his inactivity of addressing some sexual abuse that went on underneath his leadership. And he basically said in this article that I uh, I'm trying to think how he said it. I reported it and I just assumed I didn't really know how to handle it, So I just let it go. And I was so disappointed when I read kind of what he said. And then the next thing I read talked about how Iran is getting ever and ever closer to having nuclear weapons. And I thought, it's not a real great way to start the day either. And then the next one I read says a suicide bomber killed 50 people uh, yesterday in Iraq, walked into a crowded place and killed 50 people. And as I read all these things and I started to read, and it's the way it usually is when you look at the news and the headlines, most of them just have this terrible uh, sadness to them and this slant. And uh, I started thinking about that in terms of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks that we had Genesis 1 and 2 and God rests and he says it's all very good. <clears throat> and we see this beautiful picture of everything at peace and wonderful, and then you read these news headlines and you go, what happened? (laughs) How do we go from that, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the way God designed and set up creation and the way it is to that? And what we're going to look at today as we continue in this series, and if you've been with us, our series we're simply calling The Story, The Big Story. We're looking at how God's big story that unfolds for us in Scripture and all throughout history really defines what our story is, how we come up under that and what we've been saying is, um, and what we're getting to today is is Genesis 3 really explains how it's wonderful in Genesis 2 and how we got to where we are today. That really connects to, to how we've gotten to those headlines that we see today. But before we jump into that, I want to just review real briefly what we've looked at the last couple of weeks. Maybe you've missed some, maybe you're like me, it's hard to remember some of the things you heard yesterday, let alone last week. So Uh, The very first week, what we looked at in Genesis one and what we really talked about is how we set up the story, the big story. What we said is the story, the story of all history is about God. It's about him first and foremost. And we can say it like this. God is the central reality in the universe. He is the most valuable thing in all the universe. So it is right for God to be about his glory and we are to esteem most highly what is most valuable in the universe. That's basically what we said the first week. This whole story, our creation, this world, everything is about God's glory. That's what we were made for, right? And so then the next week we stepped into, well, what are we? Who are we? That's, that's what the story is. That's who God is. Well, who are we in light of that? And what we said is man is made to be about God. We're made to be about his glory. We're to reflect him. We're to trust him. We're to love him. And when we do, when we actually do that, we have our fullest joy. And and, and the reason is because that's the way God made us. He made us to seek him and to glorify him and to be about him. And that's who we are in the story. And that's that's what we talked about the last couple of weeks. And we said, as we got to God sets everything up, there was one rule, one thing that was happening there that he basically said, everything's good. And he says, now, here's here's the one thing you need to trust me. Right? This all works a certain way, and it's set up just so, but you need to trust me. And that's kind of what we talked about and we looked at, that that's the way it works. And God had this one rule of, of you trust me, and, and it was in the form of don't eat from this particular tree. Just don't do this one thing, you trust me. And that's what was behind it, giving our trust and our adoration and, and putting our faith completely and totally in God. And that's kind of where we were. And uh, we get that picture. And when God tells them that, though, he says, you trust me. And if you don't, there's this consequence. And the consequence is you will surely die. And, And that sounds almost kind of harsh, like we're saying, well, God is so great and wonderful and glorifying. And then he has this one thing. He says, if you don't do it, you'll die. But I want you to think about what that really means for a second. Going back on what we've been saying, because what we've been saying each week is God is the creator. He sustains all life. He's in complete control and he is good. And so when he says that, that if you turn for me, you turn your back on what I tell you, you don't trust me. Well, what he's saying is you cut yourself off from the giver of life. You sever You turn your back on me and I'm the one that sustains you and holds you up and gives you life. And if you turn from me, then you're going to die. It's it's the, very simply. It's the uh, logical outworking. If you unplug yourself from the source of life, that's what's going to happen. You're going to die. And that's what God told them. And that's kind of where we had come up to. But what we're going to look at today, and even if you don't know Genesis three, if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you haven't read it before, you can guess from when you read the headlines that we see today and you go from Genesis two to where we are today, somewhere in there, we decided not to trust him. somewhere. We turned from him where you look at what's going in the world and the death and the destruction and the things that are in the world now. And that's what Genesis three is going to connect the dots for us. It's going to Root us in why the world is the way it is today. So with that in mind, let's read Genesis 3 together. I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. We're not going to hit on every verse this morning, but I want us to read it together for context and to really hear this, this what happens in Genesis 3. So it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did, I, did God actually So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing in pain. You shall bring forth forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and you shall rule over. He shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of all of of it all the days of your life. And knowing good and evil, now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, This is God's word. Let's uh, bow in prayer and then we're going to look at this together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and that it is sharper than a two-edged sword and that it reveals our heart to us. We pray this morning that uh, we would see clearly who we are in you, but we would also see in the ways that we've turned from you, that you would make that clear to us, that you would impress upon our hearts our need, for you and what you've done for us we pray that we would see this clearly in your word pray that your holy spirit would come and give us uh, ears to hear that you would open the eyes of our heart to to really take this to heart and be able to apply it to our lives and uh, leave here uh, knowing you more fully and more clearly we pray all this in jesus precious name amen I know that's kind of a long passage to read right here at the beginning and and go through that, but it's important that we get the kind of the big picture and the whole breadth of that before we begin. But as we begin this morning, I want us to uh, ask a few questions about this as we look at it, how we work our way through it. And I want us to look at it like this. First, what was it like before? And this is a little bit review from last week, but it's important that when we talk about the fall and what happened here in Genesis three, we have a clear picture of what it was like before and then after. So what was it like before? Um, what led to where we are now? Something happens here that leads to where we are now. And then the third part is how does that inform our story today? Or what are the results of that? So let's start with the first part of what, what was it like before? And there's a verse here that I think oftentimes we might, we might gloss over when we start to think about this. And it's verse eight. If you'd look at it with me, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God Among the trees of the garden. And I just said we're going to start with what it was like before, but then here they are hiding. But this is not the part I want you to focus on because there's something this verse tells us about the way things were before they uh, decided to not trust God and what's there. The connotation is, as God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the connotation there is that there used to be an openness and a transparency and a direct access to God with Adam and Eve. They walked with God in the cool of the day. He came and was with them. They talked with him and they were right there with him. And so even though we're already looking at the part a little bit of what's happened after, the before is simply that they were made to be right in God's direct presence that they weren't uh, put away from, that they had direct access to him. So that's the first part that we see. We're made for God's glory and we were made to be right there with him. And then we go back to verse twenty five of chapter two. And we hit on this last week, just real briefly. And it says "And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And what we talked about is when we have direct access to God and our relationship is as it is to be with him and everything is is as all right then our relationship with other people flows out of that. And that's what Adam and Eve had. They walked with God in the cool of the day and they were perfect and everything was good. And their relationship was completely open and transparent. It says they were naked and unashamed. And that means so much more than physical nakedness, but they had nothing to be ashamed of. And I want you to think about what that would be like for just a second. Just think I've heard this illustration before, but think if you came in and you sat down and we said, now we're going to put down the screen and up on the screen, we're going to put uh, just at random, we're going to pick a couple people and we're going to put every thought that you've had the last week up on the screen for a second. And now, now, when you say that and you start to think through that for a second, if that were to happen, every single person here would, Oh no, no, no I hope it's not me, right? We would all, there's, there's not a single one of us that would be completely unashamed and completely open to say, yeah, you can have every thought I've had, and, but, but that's what, what, it was like for them with God and with one another, Before, there was no shame. There was no thoughts of anything. They were complete open book. You can know. Can you imagine that to have to be willing to say you can know everything about me, everything I've ever said, everything I've ever done. And I'm not ashamed of anything, nothing. And that's the way it was before. So you start to get this picture. Uh, You can even go back to the beginning of chapter two and uh, the end of chapter one when God says it was very good. And then he rests. God, the king takes his throne, you know, sits down after creation. He says it's very good. And it says God's rest And a, a good way to think of that is as God rests on his after he creates. We talked about he wasn't tired. It wasn't a matter of, oh, I'm exhausted from all this creating. He rests because it's good. It's, it's as it should be. The king is on his throne and it's as it should be. So so we get this picture. The picture before is there's nothing to be ashamed about. And relationships are perfect and they are right there in God's immediate presence, walking with him in the cool of the day. And it's this beautiful picture. But before we move ahead, there's one one other thing that we need to at least consider before we move to what happened. And it's in verses 16 and 17 of chapter two, when God gives Adam the instructions, you may surely eat of the tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Right. God gives them this one kind of stipulation in the garden. And sometimes I, the reason I want to spend just a second on this is is a lot of times I feel like we get a little part of this wrong. And I think uh, we start or I do. May, maybe you don't. But I, I, going back, I used to think, well, it's like the, the tree in the middle of the garden was like the best tree. It was like the really good one. And God was holding out on them, And it was like this. This tempting thing. Don't go. You can have everything, but the really good one over there. Right. And I think that does a disservice to think of it that way, because that's not that's not the case. It doesn't tell us, by the way, we don't know if it was an apple tree. We always seem to say that we always every picture has Adam and Eve with an apple, but it doesn't tell us. Um, but it's just a fruit tree. And it's, it's one of one of many. And I think as I was thinking about it this week, may, we, I can't say this for sure, but maybe even it's a, a, some other kind of fruit. And there's a lot of other trees like that in the garden. And God just says, just not this one. Right. And it's not that it was some magical tree that they eat from it. And then on. Ah, now I know it was it was a, a picture of trusting him. Right. That's why he's there. I, I just want you to trust me on this one thing. Just trust me here. And really, we can even think about it of a, it's, it's kind of the inevitable choice. We have a choice of whether we're going to trust God or we're not. And that's what he was saying to me. This works this way. You trust me and this all stays like it is. And that's what he tells them in the way it's set up. And what you see is, is not that God is holding out on them. He's allowing them to have that relationship where he, where we trust him. Remember, we talked about being made in his image and to be made in his image. We, we trust and we love and We're outwardly focused on him and he's giving us that opportunity. Just trust me. Right. And that's, that's what everything's right. And everything is, it should be when they do. And that's where we are at the beginning of chapter three, but then everything changes. And so we come to the question. The second question I I want to ask is what happened and what happened is a great lie entered into the story. And before we even get to the lie and really the way I want to look at it is there's three parts of the lie here. But before we get to that, before we even get there, we need to think about what where the lie originates from. And it's right there at the beginning of chapter three. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman. And before we even get to what he said, we need to just stop and and pause for just a second about who's the serpent and what's happening here. And this is one of those things in Scripture as you open, if you just read your Bible straight from the beginning, and if you've never read it before, this is new to you and you start reading through and you get to it and you go, well, it's just a snake. And that's really all you know at first. But as you read through Scripture, this this fuller picture unfolds that the serpent was at one time an angel. He was a created being that decided he would rebel against God and he wanted to he wanted to be God and he was expelled from God's presence and he became Satan. What we call Satan, right? It's what the Bible in Revelation identifies as the serpent as Satan and who he is, is he's a created being. But one of the things that we need to be important to say here is uh, sometimes we get it in our mind and I think it comes from maybe movies or Star Wars, possibly like the the dark side of the forest versus the good side. And, and what happens is we think of it as Satan is like God's equal and opposite. Right. If there's good, then there has to be bad or because there's good, there's bad. And that they're they're always at this struggle and whatever. That's not what the Bible teaches. Right? The Bible teaches that Satan is subordinate to God and that he will be destroyed and he will be put away. And that evil doesn't have to exist for good to exist. You see that difference. Because if you go with their equal opposite, then that's pretty hopeless because it'll always be there. And that's not what the Bible teaches. But what it does teach is here is Satan is this fallen angel that has rebelled, and he is out to destroy God's good creation. He's rebelled, and it's basically I've been kicked out, so I'm going to take anyone and anything with me. I'm going to try to destroy all of what God has done. And so that's that's what we have here. That's the originator of the lie in Genesis three. And we need that little bit of backstory to understand what happens here. But then with that in mind, let's look at the lie that takes place. And I hope you see that as we read this morning and as we look at Genesis three and we look at these lies, this is not just some old story that oh, yeah yeah some neat little thing from way back. This is so relevant to where we are. I'm going to tell you all three parts of Satan's lie are alive and well today. And we succumb to them all the time and we buy into it. And it is the cause of so much heartache and pain. So please listen carefully because this is not just some old story. This is for each and every one of us right where we are today. And it says, so the first part is this. Look at what he says. Did God, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And I'm going to stop right there because what I want us to think about is what's behind the implication the way satan asked this question is just so to plant a seed of doubt did he actually say that did he really say you can't eat from from this tree and what what the implication is what's behind that what's upholding or underneath that is essentially what he's asking and what he's implying is that god doesn't really love you he's holding out on you did he really say you can't eat that and, and what's behind that is there's something there. There's something that he's holding out on you from that. That's better. He's not giving you his best. Um, D.A. Carson, he's a great uh, Bible scholar. And he says it like this that it's in scholarly language that God, uh, we, we make him into the ultimate party pooper. That basically he's saying, oh, there's this fun thing over there, but I'm not going to let you have that. And that's the lie that Satan tells us. God's holding out on you. He's got something over here that you would really like, but he's just not going to let you have it. And that's what the first part of the lie, because what's behind that is what happens. And we start to buy into it is maybe these other things that God told us not to do or not to be about. Maybe that is actually better. And what we're saying is we don't trust him. We don't trust that he really loves and has our best interests at heart. And it comes. That's what comes. It starts to come out of this. Um. I taught a class in a ninth grade Bible years ago and we got to the Ten Commandments and uh, one of the kids said something to that effect that, well, God just wants us not to have fun. You know, that's what the Ten Commandments are about or that's what the stuff, you know, something to that effect. So what we did is we spent I remember spending two days of class, probably about an hour and a half. What we did is we took and we wrote down everything in the world that we could think of that would be different if we actually followed the Ten Commandments. And we filled up two whole whiteboards of just tons and tons of things. And we had, there would be no need for police. There would be no jails. There would be no sexually transmitted diseases. There would be no divorce. There would be, and we went on and on and on and on. And we got to the end and it was like, you could turn and ask the question, is God really the ultimate party pooper that he just doesn't want us to have fun? Or does maybe he knows something that we don't. And we started to look at all that together and and you could see the light bulb kind of coming on that that was the case, that they were starting to see that that's that God's not just out to withhold stuff from us, but maybe just maybe as the creator, he knows what's best. He knows how his creation is supposed to function. And so the first part of that lies is is we start to buy into it is that, no, 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 he's just holding out on us. He doesn't really love us. He doesn't really want to what's best for us and when that happens we start to uh slide into the second part and the second part that he says to him and he be, so he begins to ask does god actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden but god said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what happens here, what, what Satan starts to do, the second part, first is he doesn't really love you. The second part is you can't really trust his word. He's told you these things and he said that, but Satan says, no, 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 he doesn't really mean that. That's not really true. His word is not really to be taken that seriously. He didn't mean it quite that way. And he starts to, to plant that lie that you can't trust what he says. You can't trust his word. And you start to get this picture here. And now, now, not to sell her too short, but Eve actually answers pretty well right away. Right, The first thing she says is she says, no, he didn't say, it, not any tree, just this one tree. Right, But but the interesting part is when you read Eve's answer, it's like the first lie is already starting to take hold just a little bit. Because she says, he said, you can't eat of, of the one tree. But then uh, she says. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Well, God never said, neither shall you touch it. Right. She's, she's added a new stipulation. And it's like this part that he doesn't really care for us. has started to take hold. And she's kind of like, well, yeah, but it, and he even said we can't touch it. It's like she's made it more harsh than it was. Right. She's kind of started to say and twist it a little bit and make it. And you start to see that already start to take hold. And what happens is she starts to uh, buy into this lie that you can't trust it. And I want you to see how he does this, right? The lie that's here because it's ever so subtle. It's not real obvious. It's, did he actually say that? Is, is it this tree? Oh, you won't. surely you won't die. And it's like he starts to just twist the words a little bit. Well, he didn't say you couldn't eat. You know, and it starts to just twist it a little bit. And that's the way it is when we start to doubt God's word. And then uh, that lie takes hold and it starts to come in. And then it starts to take all different forms. And what happens is we start to mix Mostly true with a little false. And by the way, if you miss, once there's a little false mixed in, it's false. <laughs> but what happens is that's what, that's what we do. And, and we do the same thing that Satan does. And you hear it all the time. You hear it all throughout. Uh, you hear it in the church. Give you mostly true things and then just switch it a little bit. Uh, I think of when I think about this, when, when a little bit of a lie is kind of added in, I think of the uh, the health and wealth gospel. If you know what the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel is, essentially, it says become a Christian and get saved and have enough faith and you'll never be sick and you'll be really rich. That's essentially what it says. And now it sounds absurd when I say it that way and you go, "Oh, you know, we kind of giggle and say that. But but when you listen to the way it's presented, it really says something more like God wants you to have an abundant life, which he does. That's true. He does. He want God wants you to prosper. That's also true. And then I'll say, and he wants you to have a deep and abounding joy. Yeah, that's that's true also. And he wants you to give generously. And if you give generously, he will bless you, which are those are both true. These are all straight from scripture and you go all the way through and then you get down to the end. And if you give generously, then he will unlock your infinite growth potential for wealth. And they just get it. So that you follow it all the way through one to the next, to the next, to the next. And then the last little part is this exaggeration that's no longer based on scripture and we've twisted it and distorted it just enough to where it's not and then so and and I connect those two together because we say when we start to doubt his word and we don't really know it and we don't think it's all that important then we open ourselves up to lies like that because we don't know what it says and that's why it's so important that you you are uh, earnestly seeking God through his word and looking at it because Uh, it's, it's, uh, they always say looking at counterfeit, you know, they use that example of when you look at counterfeit money that you can spot the fake by knowing what the real thing looks like. It's the same thing with scripture. When you know God's word and it's dwelling richly in you, when you see somebody who's just twisting it, just tweaking it, just making it a little bit false, it jumps off the page at you. You go, wait a second. That's not what it says. But if you don't know it, you begin to miss that. So this is such an important part. But the lie is that uh, it's just so subtle. And notice what Satan says here in verse five to them. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I want you to think about that for a second. When he says you will know good and evil. Is that a lie? Is that just a full out, blatant, straightforward lie? And it's it's not. It's actually there's there's some truth in that. But the problem is this. He says you will be like God knowing good and evil. See, the difference is when when Adam and Eve decide to trust and they buy into this lie, they do know good and evil. But they know good and evil because evil has crawled up inside of them and they've committed evil against God. It's now in them. So they know good and evil because it's part of who they are now. God knows evil because he's omniscient and he knows of evil, but he himself is not evil. You see the difference So the lie, the subtle lie there was, you'll know good and evil. Yeah, you'll know good and evil. But think about what it was before. They only knew good. They didn't know evil before. Yeah, it's like this enticement of, oh, listen to this. This great. That's not better. And God knew it. And that's why I told them, don't go there. But they buy into that subtle lie of what happens. And it's distorted. So the first part we really have is, the first part of the lie as we buy into is that God doesn't really love us or want what's best for us. And then we follow that up real quickly with we can't really trust his word because he doesn't really love us that much or he doesn't truly want what's best for us. But then there's one third part, and this is huge because it is rampant. It is it is here today. Uh, It's in bestseller books today. And the third part is uh, look at verse four with what he says. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And what you get here is. The old, well, everybody's doing it. It's not that bad. Come on. It's okay. And then there's not God's not really going to punish you. There's not really going to be a consequence to this. And I say that is so relevant today because there's uh, there's new books coming out all the time. Rob Bell just wrote a book where he call he calls it Love Wins. And the whole book is to cast doubt on does God really put people away for eternity? Is there really a hell? And it's like maybe there isn't. Maybe there's not. Did he really say that? That's, that's basically what the book is saying. Does it really say that's the case? And that's what it goes through. And it casts doubt on so many things. And well, what about this? And what about this? And it's, and it's some truth mixed with a lot of lies. And it becomes very subtle. But what happens is, is under it, under that is that, well, God's not really going to do that. There's not really going to be consequence to you rejecting the giver of life. But when, when we ask the question, did he really say that? Yes, he really did. And the the truth is we have to proclaim that and say that because that is who God is at his core. And now that sounds sometimes harsh when we get into death and even beyond death. When we talk about hell and God putting away people for an eternity that have rejected him. But the reality is, and this goes back to how pure and how perfect and how wonderful and how complete God is in and of himself. And we talked about this before is that God's justice has to be answered because God is perfectly just. So he can't let anything slide. There's no things that he goes, ah, that's okay, I'll just let it. There has to be an answer for it because that is who God is. At his core, he is perfect justice and he's also perfect love. And he's most fully about his glory and he is the center of the universe. And when we deny that and we go against that, it can't just be, oh, well, it's okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught quite a bit about hell and destruction and what happens and, and how awful that is. So make sure you repent and you turn back. And so this, this lie that Satan tells is still alive and well today. Oh, God, surely won't you surely won't die. It's okay. It won't be that. And it's this lie that we buy into because when we start to erode God's justice and his sovereignty, then everything starts to unravel and fall apart and it becomes a mess. And so right at the beginning, right, even at the beginning, we have this the this these three lies that are still active today. They're still in everything we see today. You've got that God doesn't really love us and that his word can't be trusted. His word, God's word is always under fire, especially today. And then lastly, even if even it doesn't really matter what you believe, always lead to heaven. And there's no there's no actual consequence. And those are so prevalent prevalent today that they've caused all kinds of problems and so then we get to the last part well, what are the results what does that mean for us today and the re- and what we get to is adam and eve if you know the story they buy into all three right they go okay and they eat and they do it and and then what happens right the second they do the second we turn from god and by the way it's just like us we do the same thing adam and eve do we do this at all different times in our lives for different reasons, and. Yeah, I know. The, I know the Bible says that, but uh, he probably didn't really mean that. And then we do what we want and we all do that. And what happens is the results are first and foremost creation is distorted and it's distorted because we were made for God's image. And that relationship is now broken. Right. We talked about uh, I said image. We're made for his glory in his image. Right. We, we said t- last week that us as people is to reflect back God who he is, be a well-polished mirror of who God is and everything that he is about. And when we turn our back on him and we don't trust him and sin enters our lives, we're no longer that. We're no longer what we were made to be. And everything starts to distort and fall apart and crumble. And that's what you see, right? You see it right here, even at the beginning. Remember, I read just a second ago, and the man and his wife were both naked and were are not ashamed. And then you get to verse seven and it says, and then their eyes were opened and they both knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And then it says, and God was walking and they heard him and they hid themselves for the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And you see immediately the effects. They go from being completely open and transparent and loving and all things good to hiding, covering themselves, hiding from God, being away from him. Not only that, God comes and he starts to ask them questions. Well, what happened? Adam, where are you? And he says, well, we're, you know, we're over here. We're, we're naked. Well, who told you you're naked? And they go through this whole thing. And what does he do? He immediately says, the woman that you gave me gave me the fruit. He starts pointing fingers. Right. And she says, well, the snake gave it to me. And she starts pointing. And suddenly you go from perfect, complete, transparent relationship where everything is as it should be. They're walking with God and they're together into pointing self-preservation. Pointing fingers. And just like we've been talking about, remember, we've been saying the whole story is about God and his glory. And that's what we're made for. and We're made to glorify him. And immediately their story becomes about themselves. They start turning and and start pointing fingers. And it's all about me and how I how I see it and how I look and no, she did this wrong and you did that wrong in my eye. And you see it immediately become a self-centered all about me. And that's what happens our when our relationship with God is distorted and cut off. We, we begin to make it about other things. That's why we read from Romans 1 this morning, right? That reading from Romans 1. Instead of worshiping the Creator, they decided to worship creation. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, right? That's exactly what happens here. They exchange God's truth and what He's told them for a lie, and everything begins to crumble when that happens, We rebel and it crumbles and it continues and that's where we are today. That's why you open up the newspaper and it's suicide bombings and covering up sexual abuse and horrible stuff. And you go, what is it? It's because we've made it everything except about him. We've decided to make it all about us and what we think and where we are. And it's a mess. And that's how we've gotten to that point because we exchange what God told us in trusting him for our own selves. I can do this myself. I will be my own God. I will make these decisions. I don't need to trust you. And that's how we got to where it is. And you get to the end of this, and we could stop right there, and it's really depressing. It's kind of a downer sad, It's When you really dwell on this and think about it, it's heart-wrenchingly sad. When you think about God walking and saying, where are you? And they're saying, they're hiding. They've destroyed what he made. They've turned their backs on him. But but it doesn't end there. The chapter doesn't end there. The story certainly doesn't end there. And thankfully, it doesn't. In Genesis 3.15, God already promises a Savior. And we're going to actually look at that next week. I didn't, I didn't gloss over that. That's a huge verse and an important thing. But we're going to spend more time on that. Right there in the midst of him saying, what did you do? He says, I'm going to send someone to fix it. It's already there in Genesis 3.15. But I want us to end on verse 21. Because there's one thing in the story, despite everything that has just changed in their relationship with one another and with one and and with God, one thing doesn't change. And the thing that doesn't change is God is still the center of the story and he's still good. And he still cares. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. When you think about the picture here, they've just turned their backs on God. They're full of their own shame and they know it. And he comes and he finds them and he says, let me make you close and cover your shame. Let me give you a covering because you're you're not right anymore. You're not as you should be. And let me fix that. Even though here in Genesis, it's temporary. You see in verse 21, he says, It it says, and for his wife, garments of skin, and he clothed them. And we don't, where did he get the skin from, right? You have to kind of take the step from, from the next one to the next one. Well, he got the skin because he took animals, and he made a sacrifice, and he took the skins, and he clothed them with the skins. And what you see, even in Genesis 3, right here at the beginning, is God makes a sacrifice. He sheds blood to then hide their shame and their guilt and to cover them. Even though it's temporary, right there, he begins this process of, I'm going to cover you by this sacrifice. And you see it right there at the beginning. And in Genesis 3.15, we get the promise. And here, from then on, from right here, um, one of my favorite professors, Edmund Clowney, says it, that the moment that they send all of human history came, became about Jesus Christ. All of it. That's what the story now is, As we sit in Genesis three. The story all becomes about Jesus because we see here he takes the the uh, he takes the skin and he covers their shame and their guilt. But it points forward to when Jesus will come. Right. It's a temporary covering of an animal's blood that is shed. But Jesus will then come and he will shed his blood and he will take all our shame and all our guilt, and all of it, and he'll wrap it up, and he'll take it on himself, and then he'll do for us what we can't do to restore us to this. So now our story becomes all about Jesus coming to do what we can't do for us, right here in Genesis 3 from then on. So I'm kind of uh, telling you, as we go through this series, and we're going to be doing this for a while and going through it from now on right here, it's it's Jesus, <laughs> And even before that, it was really Jesus was there at the beginning and part of creation. It was still, still about him. But now here we are moving to this all the way through. And that's what we get. So what we get now is the whole story becomes that God is still for his glory. And he still wants to have a relationship with us. And he pursues us so that we can be returned to what we were made to be so we can glorify him. And that's the whole story. And it all starts right here. And so what we see in Genesis 3 is it makes sense of the mess that we're in, but it also gives us hope of how it will be rectified and how we will be returned back to the fullness of what he has for us and that we can glorify him. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Genesis 3. We thank you the picture that is there, even in our rebellion, even in our not trusting you and trusting your word, turning our backs on you and uh, the consequences that come from that. But even despite all that, you are right there pursuing us, that your loving hand is there to cover us and to offer reconciliation and to come after us. And we can never, ever thank you enough that this uh, the entire story of our lives is about you and the way you care for us. And even when we rebel, and even when we turn our backs, that you are still there coming and offering uh, salvation through what you did for us, through what Jesus came and accomplished on our behalf. And we can never thank you enough. We pray that as we leave here today, that that would be fresh in our minds and our hearts, that the reality of your, your love and your mercy would just be so clear to us. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this is-